Let's pray together. And ask God to meet us in His Word. Your Word is like a seed you taught us, Jesus. And there's different kinds of soil. Lord, we want to be good soil this morning. We want hearts where your seed goes deep and bears fruits and sinks roots down and and develops strong plants. And so, Lord, right now, bring your power upon our hearts. Make us good soil. Don't let the evil one distract us. Don't let unbelief block your word from entering in. Give us soft, supple, receptive hearts now, I pray. Help me, Lord, uh, to be have, having your wisdom and your heart as I, as I teach this passage. Help me to be accurate in accord with your word. So come and do a mighty work now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. And if you need a a Bible, as we always say, go ahead and raise your hand. It's really important to us that each of you has a Bible to look on. Because the Bible's the important words this morning. Much more important than my words. And we want you to get acquainted with the Bible. So go ahead and turn to James 4. And the Bibles we're passing out, it's on page 1013. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Here's some, some background. This book which is called James, was a letter written by James. And James was Jesus' brother. He uh, was an elder in the church in Jerusalem, major leader there, elder pastor at the church in Jerusalem. But around the year 42 AD, 10 years after Jesus had died and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, 10 years after uh, Jesus had died, risen and been raised, terrible persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And many followers of Jesus had to flee for their lives, probably with nothing more than the clothes on their backs. They fled north to northern Palestine and Syria. Now James loved, knew and loved these believers who had to flee. James stayed behind to take care of the flock, faithful pastor, (laughs) risking persecution. God called some to leave. James loved those who had left. He knew them. He had taught the word to them for years. He had prayed with them, wept with them. They'd prayed for him. He'd prayed for them. They'd been in each other's homes together. They'd enjoyed meals together. He loved them and cared for them. And he heard about some of the struggles that they were going through up in that Syria, North Palestine area. And so he wrote them this letter to help them, encourage them. And one issue he knew they faced, especially the men, was how to provide now for their families, how to provide clothes and food and shelter, and he knew that part of this process that the men would be making plans. They'd be planning for how to provide for their families. So James knows they're going to be doing some planning now. And James knows there's a right way and a wrong way to plan. Okay, there's a, there's a way to plan that glorifies God and that connects your heart more closely in faith and love with Jesus. And there's a wrong way to plan that dishonors God and that that takes you further away from Jesus. So James is aware of that. And and the same is true for us. I mean, we plan all the time. You have plans for this next week. You you may not call them that, but you, you have plans and intentions. And 
there's a right way and a wrong way for us to plan. There's a way that you can plan that glorifies God and strengthens you in your relationship with Jesus. Or there's a way you can plan that dishonors God and and weakens your relationship with Jesus. And so we also need to hear what James says to his readers in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So let's read those verses. Look at what he, he says about planning. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, Whoever knows the right thing to do, like planning according to verse 15, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay, now what were James' readers doing? Verse 13, read that again. Here's what they were doing. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. So they're, they're making plans. The guys are making plans. I've got to provide for my family. I'm up here in Syria, North Palestine. Making plans, how to, how to provide for them, how to, how to make some money. So that's the topic that James wants to focus on here is, is their planning, how to plan. Okay? And, and just get in touch with the fact that we make plans all the time. Okay? You've got plans. Maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Trader Joe's and then hit Costco. That's a plan. Okay? You may not call it a plan, but it's a plan. I'm going to the, watch the Giants this afternoon and then go to the baptism and take finger food and something to drink. Okay? That's a plan, okay? Or I'm going to lead the sales meeting on Tuesday, or I'm going to take my family uh, to Colorado Springs on vacation, or you know, I'm going to start family devotions for my family, whatever it might be. There's not a brain here in this room that doesn't have any plans in it right now. Or if you, no, you you all do, okay? You've all got you've all got plans. So we plan all the time. And James readers were planning. Guys were thinking we got to go make some money, provide for the family. And when you read verse 13, that just sounds absolutely fine. That sounds fine to us. We're going to go do some work, make a profit, provide for family. That sounds fine. But James says it's not fine. The way they're planning is not right. There's a problem with it. What's the problem? He tells us in verse 14. Read 13 and 14 together and look at what the problem is. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. There's two problems with their kind of planning. One is, you don't know what's going to happen in your future. That's the first part of verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what will happen in the future. You don't know what will happen this afternoon. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. I mean, I just thought of an example. When, when our kids were like 8 and 10, Ann and Brad were 8 and 10 years old, we spent a day in the Grand Canyon, 
And then we had plans. We were going to drive from the Grand Canyon down to Sedona to be with Jan's parents for a couple of days. So we had, we had plans. Okay, we're going to spend a day in Grand Canyon and then drive down to Sedona. So halfway down to Sedona, out in the middle of nowhere, all the lights on the dashboard go on. You know one of those? <laughs> okay, and then the engine just like loses all its power. I forgot to check with Jan, but if I remember right, we coasted off an on-ramp right into a gas station. Okay, where there was a little... This is out in the middle of nowhere, a little hotel there. And it took us three days to FedEx the part, okay, to that little out of the, no, you know, just out of the middle of nowhere place. So we spent a couple of days there in Munns Park, Arizona. Beautiful place, okay? Uh, so the, the point is, you know, you can make plans, but you don't know what the future holds. That's one problem here. We just don't know. We do not know what's going to happen in the future. Not only that, the second thing we don't know, we don't even know if we're going to be here in the future. That's the second half of verse 14. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Okay, see, right now, you're alive, you feel substantial, you feel invincible, you feel like you're going you're gonna to be here forever, but you won't. Okay? I try to think of a time when I was reminded of that. It was like five years ago. I was sitting at our kitchen table Sunday night, eating dinner with Jan. Brad was gone. Anna was at school. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I started to feel this numbness in the left side of my face. And this tingling up and down my left arm. And I started to feel really bad. So we called Nurse Darla Hatcher. Okay? And Darla said, why don't you go to the emergency room? So we went, ran all these tests, and they said, I had a little... Little stroke. Stroke? Me? But see, that, that's how it works, right? Um, we don't even know if we'll be alive tomorrow, really. I mean, you think you will, because everything's fine now, but our bodies are fragile, our bodies are temporary, lives are temporary. I mean, you, your life here on earth is no more permanent than like a morning fog that burns off by noon. It's, it's that... It's that uh, temporary. Illnesses, accidents, right? Anything can happen. So, so James wants, wants us to understand we don't know what the future will hold and we don't even know if we'll be here in the future. So just kind of let, let that sink in. You, you are like a fog, like a, like a mist, okay, that gets blown around by forces outside of its control and, 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 that, and that might even just disappear because of the sun shining on it. You're like a, like a little fog bank, Okay, that's it's like your life, like a little fog bank. Okay, so think of how foolish it would be for a little fog bank, which is hanging around the Golden Gate Bridge, to say, "I think this afternoon I'm going to head up to Napa," and then like maybe I'd love to check out Yosemite. That's I'm going to go to Napa and then Yosemite. Well, it all depends on what the wind does, which has no con- has no control over, and if the sun's going to be like it may not even like where to go. It's gone, right? So that's, that's how we are like. We are like a little fog bank which says, I'm going to go to nap and then head over to Yosemite. That's what we're like when we make plans according to the way that James readers were making them in verse 14. I'm going to go to Costco and then hit Trader Joe's. That is just like a little fog bank saying, I'm going to hit nap and then Yosemite. We don't know. There's forces way beyond our control that could totally change that. Or we say, you know, I'm going to head to the watch the Giants and head to the baptism, or I'm going to lead the sales meeting, or I'm going to take my family on vacation, whatever it might be. So we don't know the future, what it holds, and we don't even know if we're going to be in the future. 
So that's why the planning in verse 13 is the wrong way to plan. So, should we just not plan? No, that's not what James says. There's a right way to plan. There's a different way. Look at what he says in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Okay, so, quiz time. Is James telling us to stop planning? No. No. Okay, keep planning. Some of you maybe need to plan more. All right? Okay, so... You're thinking, oh, lovely, I hate planning. Just flow with it. No, that's not what James is saying. He's saying, change how you plan. If the Lord wills, I will live and do this or that. So what does it mean to say, if the Lord wills? I thought this would be a good time to kind of make a distinction. Two different ways the Bible uses the phrase, the will of God or the will of the Lord or the Lord's will. So the chart is up here, um, and you've got the chart in your notes there. Sometimes the phrase God's will refers to God's moral will, is, is one of the ways that theologians put it. God's moral will is how God wants us to live. Okay, like God says, thou shalt not murder. So don't murder, don't kidnap. Okay, this is God's moral will, how we ought to live. And God's moral will does not always happen. Okay? Jesus was murdered on the cross, even though God said there shouldn't be murder. Joseph's brothers were kidnapped and sold into slavery, even though God's moral will was don't kidnap. So God's moral will does not always happen. Okay, so that's one way to think of God's God's will. Sometimes when that phrase is used in the Bible, it refers to God's moral will, and you can tell which is which by the context. The other way it's used is to refer to God's sovereign will. This isn't how God wants us to live. This is the fact that God ordains everything ultimately that happens. God is in sovereign, complete control over everything. God's sovereign will always happens. Everything that happens is under God's sovereign will. So like even when... A murder takes place, like Jesus is crucified on the cross. Or a kidnapping takes place, like Joseph's brothers are kidnapped. God has ordained these things to happen to bring about his wise, loving, kind purposes. There's mystery to that. We don't understand how it all is going to be wise, loving, and kind. In eternity, we will see more clearly. But we know that because he's told us that's how he he operates. So there's God's moral will and there's God's sovereign will. In James 4.15, he's talking about God's sovereign will. The fact that God is in ultimate control over everything. Everything is, in, is under God's control. So this is so crucial to understand. It's just, here's like one of the fundamental takeaways from today. God is in ultimate control over everything. And you are in ultimate control over nothing. Okay? God is in ultimate control over everything. You are in ultimate control over nothing. Nothing. For example, think about how much our lives are affected like by seemingly random events. Coincidences, happenstances, whatever. Now, we have no ultimate control over random events, but they can profoundly affect our lives, can't they? But God does have 
ultimate control over random events. Look at Proverbs 16.33. We'll kick that up there. This is an amazing verse to ponder. The lot, that's just like the dice, Old Testament times, is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord shows deuces, deuces. Wow. Okay. So random events, which are completely not under our ultimate control, are completely under God's control. Or think about how much our lives are affected by other people, just what other people may or may not do, like Joseph's brothers or whatever it might be. We have no ultimate control over other people. Okay? But God has ultimate control over other people. Look at Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. Okay, stream water, the Lord's hands are guiding it. He turns it wherever he will. So everything that everyone does, and all six billion people on the globe, under God's ultimate control. Now there's mystery there. How can that be true? And yet we also make authentic choices for which we're responsible? I don't know how both can be true. But the Bible teaches both. God's in ultimate control of what everybody does. And we make real conscious choices for which we're accountable. Both are true. But the point is, we're not in ultimate control over what other people do. God is. Think about how much our lives are affected by whether we live. That's a big one. Okay? Look at James 4.15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. So your living another hour depends ultimately on, on what? The Lord's will. Okay? It's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will to take Seiko home this last week. And she's with Jesus right now. She went to be with the Lord's presence because the Lord willed. It's time for her to come home. Okay? That's what it'll be like for you too. He has not yet willed that you go home. That's why you're still here right now. He could will some of you to go home this afternoon. We'd be really sad. You'd be ecstatic in the Lord's presence. But see, it's all about His will. One other example. Think about how much our lives are affected by what we do. I mean, huge impacts in what we do. But even though we have a huge say in what we do, we don't have ultimate control over what we do because of James 4.15. Again, same verse. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What does your doing of this or... What ultimately controls whether you do this or that? What ultimately controls that? God. If the Lord wills, you'll do this. If the Lord wills, you do that. Well, why did you do this yesterday? The Lord willed it. Why didn't you do that? The Lord didn't will it. If the Lord wills, you do this or you do that. So see... And there's lots of other scriptures. The point is, we are not in ultimate control over everything. We have some control over some things, but not ultimate control. God has ultimate control over everything. Which is why you can sleep well at night. Which is why you don't need to be afraid of what somebody might do. Just trust the Lord. And if he allows your brothers to sell you into slavery... God made great good through this. You can trust him. doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen, but you can trust him. 
He is behind everything. He's in ultimate control, and you're not. Which is why when we plan, we should say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. Because see, none of our plans will happen unless God wills that they happen. If your plans don't happen, it's because God willed that they not happen. If your plans happen, it's because God willed that they they happen, which is why it makes total sense for us to say, if the Lord wills. I try to think of an example. Uh, Let's say there's a surfer who said to you, um, tomorrow I'm going to surf 40-foot Mavericks. It's going to be awesome. Okay, well, there's a slight problem with that, and that is... That all depends on there being 40-foot, you know, Mavericks is a surf spot, right, by Half Moon Bay, real big place, crazy place. Um, the problem is that the surfer has no ultimate control over whether there's 40-foot surf at Mavericks or not tomorrow. Okay? He has no control over that. So it's foolish for him to say, I'm going to go surf 40-foot. Does that illustration make any sense? You're all looking like, I don't get it, Fuller. Okay, you, you, okay. He has no control over the 40-footness of the size of the swollen mavericks. And so for him to say, I'm going to go surf 40-foot mavericks tomorrow, just makes absolutely no sense. But see, I am just as foolish when, with no reference to God in my mind, I say, I'm going to hit Trader Joe's and then Costco. I'm just as foolish as that. If with no reference to God, if I'm thinking, I'm in control, I can decide what I want to do, I can chart this out. This is going to happen. I'm going to hit Trader Joy's. I'm going to hit Costco. I'm just as foolish because any number of things could happen. My car could break down, right? They could, you know, I don't know, Trader Joe's could burn down overnight. You know, just any number of things could take place. But see, we don't feel like that's very foolish, do we? Do we? You're thinking, fool, you're being too hard on yourself. No, I'm not. It's just, it's foolishness for with no thought of God in my mind to think that I can make plans. I'm going to watch the Giants and then head to the baptism. I mean, again, my car could break down on the way home. My TV could not work. Baptism could be canceled. Any number of things could happen. So it's foolish for us to make plans with no conscious reference to God. Because he is in ultimate control. You are not. But when we make plans without having God in our minds, we are presuming to be in ultimate control. And we do it every day. I do it every day. But I'm working on it now. Not as much as on Monday, because I'm I'm studying this passage. It's been helpful for me. Now, the point isn't some legalistic requirement, like you've always got to say, if the Lord wills, kind of like a religious incantation before any plan. Okay, we got it said. I mean, saying it could be helpful. The point is, do you feel the truth in your heart? I am not in ultimate control here. God is in ultimate control here. He calls me to make plans in dependence upon him, and so I will in dependence, humble dependence on the one who is in ultimate control. That's a whole different way to plan. Whole different way to plan. So it's not a legalistic, you know, religious incantation thing, but it's feeling it in your heart. Now, let me show you two scriptures that show you that this is how Paul planned. Okay, Paul's a good example of this. Paul and James, they're, they're connected on this. Look at Acts 18.21. Paul's talking to the believers at Ephesus. Get up on the screen here, so you can just look, look at it there. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. If God wills. So 
Paul didn't say that as a religious incantation. He said that because Paul lived, he wasn't perfect, but Paul lived with his heart centered on God, knowing I'm not in ultimate control. God is in ultimate control. My desire is to return to you quickly, and I will do that if God wills it. I want to, but we all know it's up to God. That's good for Paul to say, and it's good for the Ephesian believers to hear, because it's truth. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.19. Paul's talking to the believers in Corinth. Look what he says. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And we'll find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power. Okay, so we should plan. But we need to understand, we are not in ultimate control. We are like little fog banks. Okay, which... Winds can blow you around, sun can take you, can can destroy you, can evaporate you. We're like little fog banks. We're called to make plans, but we make plans if the Lord wills. We're, We're in humble dependence and reliance upon the Lord. That's how we should make plans. Okay, let's try a little experiment. Think of something that that you're planning on this coming week. Okay, just something you're planning on doing, someplace you're planning on going. Okay, do you all have something in mind? Something you're planning on this next week. Okay? It might be like just going to work tomorrow. It doesn't have to be any big complicated thing, okay? Now, do you all have one? Okay, all right. So now, now try this. Just say to yourself what that is, and don't say, if the Lord wills. Just say, like, like I'm going, what am I going to do this week? Like, I've got a call with Rick Carboneau. I'm going I'm to have a coaching call, coaching Rick Carboneau on how to be a coach Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Okay, just say something like that. So don't say, if God wills. Just say, Tuesday morning, I'm going to have this coaching phone call. Okay, just say it. Right now, no, just kind of, kind of feel what it's like to say that. But now, to do it again and add in, meaningfully, if the Lord wills, I'm going to have this coaching call with Rick Carboneau, Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock. If the Lord wills. Okay, and I mean it. If the Lord wills. God, you're in ultimate control. I'm not. So if you choose that I do this, this is my plan, under your will, to have that coaching call. Now, what difference did it make to say that? How did that affect you? What happened? This is a real question, not a rhetorical question. I really want to hear. What, what happened in your heart? Humbled you. How come? Okay, so there's a, you're humbled as a process. Okay, what else? You're more peaceful about it. This is, this is rich. So not getting bent out of shape if it doesn't happen, because if it doesn't happen, it's God, right? Okay, humble, peace, not getting bent out of shape. He may have some ideas, some fine-tunings, some other things to add to the plan that you wouldn't have come up with. So you're not frustrated at, at changes that might come up. Sovereign over your work. He's more important than your work. Okay, man, that's good. Anything else? Okay, that's a pretty good start. Do you see what a huge difference this is? Now, now let's say it again, though, and take out the phrase, if the Lord wills, and, and put that whole thing out of your mind. Say to yourself what your plan is with no reference to God at all. Okay? I'm going to have a coaching call at 10 o'clock Tuesday morning with Rick Carboneau. Okay? Now, how's that different than saying, if the Lord wills? What, what's in your heart? How's it different? But, but we, can, we can say, we can make, do our, as believers, we can make plans without having God in our conscious minds, right? I hope so, because I, I do that. Right? We, 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 yes, it's definitely not the preferred method, but, but I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, what percentage of your plans do not have God in mind? 
It's kind of frightening, isn't it? It's like, really, James? Instead, you ought to say, by the way, oughts are good. Don't, don't ever think that, that there's no oughts or shoulds. Oughts are good. As long as they're not legalistic. They're, they're to, the, to the path of humility and of peace and of not being bent out of shape. Okay, oughts are good as long as they're biblical oughts. Not legalistic oughts or shoulds. Okay, but now back to my example. So, so make your plans without having God in your mind. And how is that different in your heart? So you've got an expectation on yourself that it has to happen, it doesn't happen, you can get bent out of shape, okay. So you'd freak out, or you could freak out, depending on what happens. You think you're in control, don't you? I mean, that, as I thought, what's happening in my mind when I say, Tuesday morning, I'm going to have a... I'm thinking I'm in control. Ultimate control. It's a little fog bank. It can feel like a task, a burden, something that has to be done. But if, when God's in the context, it softens that, and it, it empowers that, and it motivates that, and it strengthens that. Depending on yourself, judging yourself, okay, that's really helpful. Okay, anything else? Going, going. Okay, all right, now. Can you see what a huge difference it makes? Not just to say the words, because the words can become a meaningless cliche, and James is not interested in meaningless cliches, but he's interested in meaningful If the Lord wills, I'm going to be at the baptism at 4 o'clock today. If the Lord wills, I'm going to be talking to my sister Janice tonight at 7.30 on the phone. If the Lord wills. There's just a huge, you're you're humbled before the Lord. You see that you're not in ultimate control. You're honoring him as the one who is in ultimate control. You are at peace. If things don't go exactly the way, you're not been out of shape. Just all these things we've shared about. It makes a huge difference. Do you feel that? Do you feel how foolish it is for little fog banks to think that they're going to move up, go, you know, head up to Napa and then over to Yosemite? Better to say if the Lord wills, because that would be an amazing thing, you know. Anyway, all right. So now, why is it so important to plan with this conscious dependence on God's will? Look at verses sixteen and seventeen. You know, James doesn't mess around. He he goes for the jugular, doesn't he? He does it again. Look at verses sixteen and seventeen. As it is. That is, the way you're planning, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay, so when we plan without conscious dependence upon God, we are boasting in our arrogance. Because we are presuming to be in ultimate control. We're putting ourselves in the place of God as the ones in ultimate control. And James says all such boasting is evil. Now, the truth is, like I said this last week, I've I've done this numerous times. And you've done this numerous times. All of us this last week, we've all boasted in our arrogance in ways that are that's evil. I mean, little people, little people, created people, thinking that we're in ultimate control. But there's been many times this past week where I have thought I'm in ultimate control. And you've done the same thing. And it's boasting, it's arrogant, and it's evil. So what do we do? Well, here's the good news. Okay, Jesus died to pay for the evil of your arrogant boasting. And he died to pay for the evil of my arrogant boasting. 
The evil of your arrogant boasting and my arrogant boasting was put upon Jesus on the cross and he was punished for the evil of it. If if you're trusting Jesus, this is what's happened. So here's the good news, and that is you can come before the Lord Jesus right now and say, I haven't seen this very clearly before. I'm seeing it now. Thank you for your word. I've been boasting in my arrogance. It's been evil. Forgive me. And Jesus will completely forgive you. You will be washed completely clean from this last week's evil, arrogant boasting. And then you trust him. You say, Jesus, because Jesus not only forgives you, he, he will cleanse you. He will change you. And so as you set your heart upon the Lord Jesus and trust him, say, help me with this. I've got a habit of planning in ways that don't acknowledge you involved in it. I've got a really big, like years and like decades of, of, of habit here. Help me. Jesus will totally help you. He will change you. If, you. if you'll just look to Jesus, say, forgive me, change me, I trust you, you will see yourself this week planning differently. Not, not perfectly, but growingly in this. And then the next week more, and the next month more. No matter how deep these, this, this rut is of planning in a, in a thinking you're ultimately in control way, Jesus will help you grow. He will change you in it. But the first step is to come to him and say, forgive me, wash me. It's not about trying to grit your teeth and, and change yourself. I'm going to really work hard. I'm going to write this down 50 times. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. No, no, nothing like that. You come to Jesus, you receive forgiveness, you ask him to change you, and then relying on his grace, you resolve, Jesus, I want to be more God-centered, God-dependent in my planning, so help me with this. And he will completely help you with this. You'll see change taking place. Okay, we got like, time for maybe two or three questions. Yeah. The devil made me do it. Whatever. So, so victim, complacency, That'd be a really helpful thing to stir in the mixers. Other scriptures that would maybe help you. And, and we're all in different places. Some of, some of us are probably too complacent. Okay? And you just need to get a sense of where you are. Others, others of us are, are, are not peaceful enough. We're you know, type A, type B, whatever you want to call it. Okay? So you just need to get a sense of where you are and what you need to take away from this this morning. And, and Jesus will give you wisdom with that. But you could easily take this as a cop-out, right? And, and get no planning, no intentionality, just whatever, hey, whatever is, is, you know, it's all God. And that would not be accurate to respond that way. Yeah, and, and the moral will of God calls us to work, right? We, we, we're, we're called to work. Right? If it doesn't work, they shouldn't eat, okay? So the moral will of God calls us to do that. And so that's why we move ahead with that and we say, Lord, if you will, I'll be able to drive to work tomorrow, not to traffic, whatever it might be. So, but we're still planning on going out of the moral will of God. And so I would just encourage you, I mean, just kind of get a sense of where, you, where your temp, you know, personality tends to go. We all tend to either take on too much responsibility or too little, one way or the other. You know where you are and kind of figure that out. Huge question. And um, Genesis fifty twenty. Where, where God, where Joseph explains what happened. He says to his brothers, Joseph is saying, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. It's an amazing statement. God didn't step in after the fact. God purposed that his brothers would sell him into slavery. God ordained that that happened. So there's lots of questions that that stirs up, but you, this is what I think. Okay, you asked me what I thought. That's what I think. Um, and then the cross, the crucifixion, uh, God wasn't surprised that it happened. 
And you weren't saying God was. God ordained that it happen. God ordained that the nails be driven into Jesus' hands. God ordained that he be scourged. God ordained that these men do wicked things. And yet his ordaining did not mean that they were blameless when they, they are culpable for it. How can both of those be true? I don't know. Okay, so that's my answer to how God's sovereign will, that's why I said God's sovereign will always happens. I think it really does. But again, that's, that's like the million dollar question you can all think about. Don't ask any more questions about that. Okay? <laughs> I wouldn't want to say it doesn't apply to trials and tribulations, but I don't see anything about trials and tribulations. Am I missing something? Is there anything about trials and tribulations in the text that you can see? Yeah, we just follow God's moral will. Right? Our job is not to discern God's sovereign will. Our job is to follow God's moral will. Maybe that's part of answering the previous question, possibly. Well, we, again, we follow the moral will of God. Okay, And so, like yesterday morning, the Thursday night home group has a prayer meeting at 8 o'clock at Almaden Lake Park. And I woke up with a sore throat, and, and, and I'm still fighting a, a, kind of a cold flu thing here. And so... I thought it wouldn't be wise for me to go. I'm committed to these people, but I don't think they'd want me to be there. Okay, for various reasons, and I needed to rest anyway. And so, so I chose not to go. Okay, um, where was I going with that, that illustration? Um, so, so there's times where we will not do something that we thought maybe we should have because of circumstances that can come up. But there's also times where, like if I'm driving there and I get a flat tire, well, I'll just walk the rest of the way. I want to be there. And we need discernment to discern what's Jesus calling us to do. Okay? So if, if we're prone to wimping out on commitments, then you need to be aware that you're prone to wimping out on commitments. And understand that that's, that's kind of part of your default bent. You'll sin in that way. If you're prone to um, kind of being legalistic about commitments, and not having, not having any sense of flexibility or taking it on yourself, you'll need to understand that's the direction you'll tend to sin in and be aware of that. I don't know how else to answer that. I mean, if it's something black and white with God's will, we, we follow God's moral will, no matter what. Okay, nothing is going to come up to make me deny Jesus as he gives me grace. Nothing. I'm going to kill you if you deny Jesus. I thought you might say that. Right? So, moral will of God. Does that make sense? I'm kind of talking around the issue here. There's no formula, in other words, unless if something's black and white in God's word, we just stick with that. Yeah, and I think the bottom line is going to be we just got to search our hearts, ask our brothers and sisters in our home group, help me figure this out. I maybe I've got a blind spot here. I don't think there's a formula unless somebody else can think of one. So I, I think it's a case by case situation, John. And yeah, that's we, we could you know we could be deceived then, but yeah, we could be deceived then, and we need the word, we need the spirit, we need our brothers and sisters to help us. I think that's the only answer there is for that question. So Lord Jesus, we look to you now. We all need to be forgiven. I've, I've boasted in my arrogance and evil ways, probably this morning and certainly this last week, and we all have. We need the cross, Jesus. We never grow past the cross. Forgive us. Help us to really come to you and turn to you and to confess. And we need your cleansing. Lord, you can change us. You can change us so that all of our planning is, is God-centered and humble before you and relying on you who, as the one who's in ultimate control. So help us, Lord, to, to speak this way, not as a, 
kind of a, just a religious cliche, but in meaningful ways, change us in this way we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.